Hello and welcome to In Lockdown With, a podcast where I, playwright Kieran Fitzgerald, chats to emerging, established and experienced artists in the fields of theatre, film, television, dance and drama, from Wales and beyond, to find out more about their careers and to see how they've been coping during the coronavirus pandemic. Expect laughs, gossip, and an insight into the careers of some of Wales's best-known creatives. If you enjoy this podcast, please like and subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Thank you. Hello and welcome to the In Lockdown With podcast with me, Kieran Fitzgerald. Today, my guest is a writer and a fellow graduate of the University of South Wales. He's from Barry. His name is Reese Diggins. Hi, Reese. How's it going? Hi, Kieran. Long time no see. I and know, man. Clash of the Titans. Here we go. <laughs> Let's do this. <laughs> I mean, you were just saying that I've been doing this podcast now for nine months, and it's a, it, we're recording this in January. It's probably going to go out in March, but it's, no. t- it's taken me this long to get you on as a guest. <laughs> so I'm sorry about that. I thought you'd forgotten about me. I was actually getting a bit emotional. I was like, oh, you've forgotten about me. <laughs> How has lockdown been for you? It's It's... It's not too bad for me, but there have been times where um, uh, I think a lot of people will be in the same boat as me. But some of the times when you when you're in your own home and uh, you feel a bit claustrophobic sometimes, and you're mm. bit, um, suffering from a bit cabin fever, you know it does take it out of you. But luckily, I I, I go for walks. I, I'm a mm. I'm a regular walker anyway. So if I if I'm not, I mean, because of Barry, it's a big town anyway. You know, there, there's a lot of places to walk to. But because in my area, we, you know, I can easily walk around the corner for a few laps and everything, and I'll be yeah. fine then. Or go for a jog, do some exercises. I do writing, you know, I'm still writing now yeah. to this day, and my missus is nagging me. So <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 it's, it's been all right for me, but uh, for close loved ones and everything, it's not been all right. But I've, yeah. all, like, all we can do is just try and help them out as much as possible. Uh, and then as soon as, as soon as the injection comes in, just get into my veins whatever oh definitely i mean i'll probably be before you but like like, i i just don't get these people who are anti-vaccine i just don't get it oh no don't don't get me started with them i actually i got into a i'll tell you this very quickly i got into an argument with one of them and everyone was he was calling me a sheep like a sheep wake up and i'm thinking no mate you need a club you need a punch you need a club around the ear hole to actually understand that you know science is not a myth it, it is uh, i mean know, i could go on about it for hours on you know, it like, i think we've got to feel sorry for these people not like get angry at them because they've read stuff on social media and they believed it without question it's not their fault really I yeah I, I always say you know what that's fair enough, Key, because uh, I've always said, um, I, I tweeted out once, because uh, um, sometimes when you do, because when people who are anti-vaxxers and they do say these things, you because of the situation, you can't help but get angry because I've had friends, I've actually had close blood, um, friends of mine who sadly passed away from COVID, right. you know, and some of them have been a, a shock. 
and I've always kept in touch with the the loved ones who actually um, well their relatives passed away and everything. And for stuff, and when people say that, that's when yeah. you know it hurts and it gets to me. And I I can understand. I mean, I say that, but then I can understand you feel sorry for them. But then again, you know, no one there's no such thing as a degree in Facebookology or YouTubeology. I agree. You know? Yeah, there's yeah. biology, chemistry, and uh, physics. So just go <laughs> by the scientists and the doctors. I always say. Definitely. All right, then let's get down to business. The first thing I can ask you is what I ask everyone. How did you first get interested in theatre and the arts? Do you know what? I've always, I've never been asked that question. Um, they've always, I mean, I get asked about the football questions a lot and sometimes I do get fed up, so I'm actually really glad you're asking me something that's something to do with football. But... I got into I got into the arts and the, the theatre industry um, when I was in my early teens. Growing up, I mean, I was fascinated by. I mean, I still am, and I wish I can do some more performances one day. But I was originally I wanted to be an actor, and some of the influences of actors. I mean, I always look towards Tom Hanks. My Tom Hanks will always be hands down my favourite actor of all time. You know, I mean, Forrest Gump, Philadelphia, Saving Private Ryan. Um, big, you know, all those films, you know, they were, they were my childhood. Yeah. He was my childhood hero and he still is my hero to this day. And I was really into, I was really into, you know, the arts and everything. And, and uh, but at the same time, uh, I always found, you know, stage plays and musicals very cheesy growing up. I remember mm. once when uh, my, my three of my cousins were doing a production of Annie and, um, and uh, my auntie took me to, to watch my cousins performing it and I came out of it just hating Annie, just saying, I, I, I hate that musical, I don't know why. Yeah. And in years, years down the line, I go on to play Daddy Warper, so that was a bit of a, that was a bit of a karma. But yeah, going on what you were going to say. But at least you were kind of identifying the stuff that you didn't like at that point. Yeah. But yeah. I guess you didn't really know that the other stuff existed. Yeah, no, yeah, that, that was. Do you know it. what I mean? When you're a kid, when you're a kid, you just you don't know from right or wrong. No. You know, you, you don't know the open world as you're aware of it. But then when I got into my teens, um, and then like I said, growing up, I was a bit of a performer. I was a bit of a clown, uh, cl not a class clown in school, <laughs> but I was a bit of a performer, always hyperactive and everything, yeah, yeah. and uh, doing voice performances and everything. And uh, and I I then started going into uh, local dramatics uh, societies, including Billboard Ensemble, which I was I was there for nearly ten years. And uh, and one of the thing I was I I remember my going for my uh, audition just to get into it, and uh, I was nervous. I, I was just nervous as hell, and I and I'm not. Uh, I mean, I'm a I'm an okay singer. I'm not a great singer, but um, I mean, I could sing a few songs in that. But I was nervous. I'm never a very confident singer. But I, I got in mm. and I did some performances. And even in school, I uh, I was every time we did a drama lesson before GCSEs, I always really enjoyed it. And I, I and I remember picking up these plays that my drama teacher, Mr. Kenyak or Mr. P, Mr. P, that we called him. <laughs> yeah, these uh, plays all on the shelves, and I'm just reading them because when you're bored or you got nothing better to do, you just. I mean, I pick up a reader book and sometimes I flip for the pages. And that's how I just gradually got into it. That that's Can you really remember, and local. Do you remember any plays that really resonated with you? Um from when I was in G when I was doing GCSE drama, 
and BTEC Performing Arts. Some of the plays that stood out to me were Arthur Miller plays and Tennessee Williams plays. I love Tennessee Williams. I, I love you know Arthur Miller's more of my kind of guy than Tennessee Williams, only because T- Tennessee Williams was just shoved down my throat loads of times, not just in GCSEs, but in, in, um, in A-level as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but don't get me wrong, uh, I, I love Tennessee Williams. i got plays upstairs, you know, <laughs> a collection of them. But Arthur Miller was the one for me and I, I, I remember I did a performance piece with my friend Alex Lewis from my GCSEs. We, we were putting groups or doing duologues, and we did a view from a bridge. And, uh, and I played, I think the character called Eddie, and my, my yes. mate was playing Mr. Ferry. And it was a scene where um, I go to him, and, and I'm, I'm saying, uh, I'm trying to convince him to prosecute this young man who's dating my character's niece mm. or something. And, uh, and and ever since then, I loved Arthur Miller's dialogue. I loved Arthur Miller's play. And then as soon as I read his, the only one I didn't enjoy uh, was The Crucible. Oh, what? And the only, I, I, how I, can I, I you know say that? How can you <laughs> I, say that? That is sacrilege, man. <laughs> no, the only reason why I didn't enjoy it was because of the experience I had when performing it. Right. When I was in sixth form, I played John Proctor. I didn't want to play John Proctor. I wanted to play Reverend Hale. I thought he was my kind of. I play Hale. I play Hale and Crystal. Yeah, fair play. You know, I really wanted to play him, but my my sixth form drama teacher Alex uh, Williams, who I still keep in contact with yeah. today. Um, she said, you're, you're John Proctor. And uh, and every time she was directing me, this is not her fault. I think this is down to the performer rather than the director. But um, I kept shouting the lines because I, I always looked at the character as a very ill-tempered mm. character. And I always looked at him as very, like, oh, he's a very aggressive character, which the play was aggressive. It's it's just complete. It's so relatable in, in today's day and age, you know. And, yeah. uh, um, but when we got to the performance, um, I did it. And I just wanted... I wanted it done because throughout the performance, throughout the rehearsals, people were not turning up or this was stressful, that was stressful, this is not helping. Mm-hmm. And when the performance did it, I didn't want to touch it ever again. And then I got an E. I got a low grade from it. And yeah. e, the examiner gave me such a low grade that I had to reset my um, right. performance exam and everything. And then ever since then, I said, I, I, I don't want to touch the crucible. As a play, I love it, but I think it's ridiculous to make 17 and 18-year-olds do it because of the size of it. Because it's a massive play. It's like three hours long, and thematically it's quite heavy. So I don't think it makes any sense to make 17 and 18-year-olds do that play. It's just too challenging, I think, no matter how good you are. Yeah. I was 16 when I did it as well, so that's even more challenging for mm. a 16-year-old, you know. And and one of the things that I remember my teacher, because there's so many plays we could have gone mm. through, and I thought The Crucible was going to be an interesting one. And, oh. ever since, and as soon as I came out of it, I was just very uh, drained, and I thought that was too challenging. That was very harsh, and... Uh, and like I said, the, the play's so relatable in today's times because you do get a lot of false mm. allegations. You get a lot of allegations and you don't know whether or not it's mm. true or false and everything. And uh, well, I won't go into it, but it is very relatable in today's day and age. But I agree with you that it's it, it was such a challenge. It was mm. a challenge. It was physically draining. And whoever does go on to play John Proctor, whether they're 18 onwards or whatever, I mean, I, I salute you because it's <laughs> such a demanding yeah. role. I'm going to move on slightly. Um... 
I want to ask you how you started writing. Is this something you've kind of always done? Well, I didn't start doing the writing until I got into sixth form. And right. I was always, growing up, I was, I was, I was always a, a keen storyteller, not a writer. I, I love telling stories. And I remember one night, um, I just told my band of this idea. And my band was sat there and he listened to me. God knows how many times he's listened to me with an idea. Um, I mean, I don't blame him. And I would have punched myself in the face for telling him. But uh, uh, he would, he, I remember this one, I can't remember what it was, but there was this one idea that I had and he said, well, why didn't you write it down? And I, and I thought I would, but I didn't have the patience to be a novel writer. And I was, I, I loved Stephen King novels. I had a collection of them. I was uh, a fan of um, a lot of. Uh, I mean, I, I mean, I picked up John Steinbeck. I picked yeah. up Stephen King. I picked up um, To Kill a Mockingbird. You know, a lot of poems. But I just didn't have the patience to be a, a novel writer as an author. So when I got into sixth form, uh, I was still trying my English. My English lit and, uh, lit, uh, literature was not the best, even though I passed somehow and. Um, and I remember going into drama and I just thought, oh, I don't... And we were, we'd always be put into groups in performing arts or drama and everything. And they'd say, well, you're going to put on your own performances. And and I, I just remember one night, uh, one one term, we had to do a, uh, like a, a theme, 1920s themed uh, show. And instead of us adopting scenes from films or musicals or whatever and just doing like a variety of performance, we thought we'd do like a, uh, a proper show, which uh, it caused a lot of tension and everything. And I was the one in charge of writing the script. And it was ever since then, I, can, I understood the writing a gangster, uh, mm. gangster play. And I was just, in, and I, I loved writing gangster plays. The Matthew, yeah. The Godfather, Goodfellas, Casino, mm. and you know, it, it you wrote really all of them, did you? You wrote, you wrote all of them, did you? <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you what, I think the, the one person who really got me into, mm. there were two writers that really got me interested, no, three, sorry, got me interested. Two of the screen are Guy Ritchie and Quentin Tarantino. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, I, I just love their work. I love their screenplays, Snatch and, and all the, and even all the Quentin Tarantino films just really got me into it. Uh, and that's the reason why I started writing a bit more screenplays and scripts, and especially because I did media studies as well. Yeah. That's when I started getting to writing screenplays and fall in love with it. And then when I started writing plays, that's how that's how it started. Just around the the GCSE and sixth form era is when it all began. Uh, and do you have a process, or does it differ depending on what you're working on? Well, how do I approach it? And how, yeah, um, is it the same for every play, or...? Um, do you know what? I'll tell you how I process things. And it's literally, if i got an idea, I'll write it. I don't... When we studied it in in, um, in script writing, in our degree and everything, and the way, you know, Shan, Jesse, and Steve would tell us, right, this is how you develop the story and everything... And I sit there and I go, I, I know what my characters are. I know what the story is. I know what, I, I got it all in my head. It's very bit of a selfish thing or naive thing to say, but that's how I approached it. I go, I got this idea. I need to write it down. And it doesn't matter if I finish it or not. I got this idea. I've written a few pages. 
and that's how I did it, and that's how I structured it. And I got to know, even though I knew sort of the, what the characters were like, that's how I got I got mm. to know them by just journeying by writing through it. And that was my process, just an improv writing process, which has its kind of limits, I would say, if you get stuck. Oh yeah. So what do you do if you get stuck following cool. that process? Crawl into a ball and cry. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I, 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 um, what I do is my bamp have always advised me and a lot of people have, have advised me is they say, right, you just write down the idea and then go back to it when you, you have got an idea. And what I do, I just go down there and sometimes I write pieces of, even though I've started the play already, I sit there and then I start writing down the characters halfway through the play, even though really? I, I've done 30, 40 pages. Really? Then I get to know the characters a bit more and I always say to myself, and, it, and I've always been advised by this, the first draft will never be nope. uh, a genius work. It will never ever be a genius. And that's the comforting part because then the second one could be and the third draft and fourth will follow through. And I, th- I think the first draft is kind of about getting to the end. And getting yeah. to know your characters. If you can get to the end, like, on the first draft, you can tidy things up in the second, third, fourth, etc. But I'm interested in the fact that you don't start with character. You, It seems to me that you start with story a lot more than character, from what you've said. Mm. Um, yeah. Which is kind of the opposite to the way I work. Because I always tend to start with character. It's just the way that I've worked. Um, yeah. I'm talking about um, you did BA in script writing at the University of South Wales. Um, what did you enjoy about the course and how do you think it's benefited you as a writer? You know, I wasn't really going to go for script writing. I was waiting for my options to come through and I had an offer for... Bath Spa University to do a, a BA degree in acting, mm-hmm. um, but I I do look sometimes I do look back and go I should have gone to Bath Spa. Then again, mm-hmm. I wouldn't have met the people at University of South Wales. I wouldn't have been on this podcast speaking to you. No, if I would have gotten, you know. <laughs> um, maybe our paths would have been crossed further down the line with your <laughs> podcast. But um, so yeah, I, I remember uh, the script writing course came up on the University of South Wales in Cardiff and I really wanted to improve my English a bit more. Mm. You know, I'm not a fluent Welsh speaker where, I, I mean, you yourself, you're a fluent Welsh yeah. speaker. You know, a lot of people who are fluent in Welsh always said to me their English has never been good because they've learned Welsh so much and, you know, they've spoken the language and everything. I don't know about you, but that's what I get from well, people. I feel exactly the opposite because my mum and dad don't speak Welsh at all. I I mean, I think I've got balance in both languages. So I, I feel like I'm more confident in English. But I feel my Welsh is still at a standard where it's, you know, fluent. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's a nice balance. And I yeah. can write in both. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I get you, I get you. But my English was so terrible, it, it was unbelievable. I mean, you know, I could go on about it for, like I said, for hours on yeah. end. But um, I really wanted to improve it, and I thought that, um, and I've always noticed this, when you're writing a book, if you're trying to compare a book to a, a, a play, you can get away with a lot of things by writing a play. 
in terms of language, in terms of dialogue, yeah. you know, and in terms of the way you're staging, the way you're describing things. Whereas when you're writing a book, you you have to, it has to be on point. It has to be very articulate in the way you've pronounced it. You, you can't just, you know, speak Yoda in a book. You know, you can't no. like Yoda and say, this is the best-selling author for the New York Times or whatever. Whereas plays, you can get away with it. I thought, well, if I took a script writing course, which I'll get into if I enjoyed it and what I've learned from it. Yeah. Um, you know, I can I can actually, you know, do better. And it did. It did. And I thought that was the one thing that really, that was one of the things I really enjoyed about it. It helped me improve. When I wrote essays, I was god-awful. How I got a 2.2 average. Any, anyway, <laughs> I was happy with the average, let alone, you know, a 2.1 or a 1. Yeah. And, um but it helped me develop a lot. I, I can't thank Sean, Jesse, and Stapes enough for the lot of help they, they gave me. And what I really enjoyed from it was just creating a lot of ideas. And sometimes you, I get a bit frustrated with the three because they're saying, well, this doesn't work, and that don't work, or this could be done better. And I'm just there going, I, I, I know, that, but it's... But right. it's only after that you understand why they're saying that. They're not yeah. saying that because they don't like the idea. They can see where the idea is going. They just need you to hone it and structure it a bit more. Do yeah. you know what I mean? They they always had your best interests at heart. Oh yeah. I think. I think. Yeah, I think that was just me being naive, like I said, because I never hold any grudges. Because uh, I look back and I think, fair play to the three. How do they cope with me? I, yeah. I, I, <laughs> I, I mean, um, I wasn't gonna say that, but you knew I was thinking it. Um, yeah, because like, yeah, in all fairness, that you know. Um, I owe a lot to, like I said, Sean, Jesse, and Steve, especially Steve, because he, he was the one with the final projects, but Sean was always there to to, to lend a hand and always be, the, you know, the motherly type person, you know, to, to help you out. And, and the, the best thing about the, the script writing is that it made me develop as a better person, a better character, you know, and to appreciate theatre a bit more, because that's when it just went. Because in GCSE, in, in GCSE or A-level, you only kept to American theatre, Broadway or West mm-hmm. End, and you only kept to Howell Pinter, um, you kept a Howell Pinter, Tennessee Williams, Arthur Miller, Shakespeare, all those play playwrights or you know famous authors that have, you know created some of the best work ever. And then all of a sudden, um, all of a sudden, when you go to university, it's like a big bang just happened. It's like this is theatre, this is film. And you know, these are the Welsh playwrights you should read. Yeah. You should read Dow James. Uh, Gary Owen and Bethany Marlowe, who are Welsh playwrights working yeah. in Cardiff. Um, yeah, it's just kind of, I get what you mean about that epiphany of realising that theatre is more than Tennessee Williams or Arthur Miller. I get yeah. that. And you know, I'll say this as well, because um, uh, I... Uh, I'll say this well, you could do some editing with it, I, I, I don't mind, but it made me develop the character, um, my, my personality and character yeah. a bit more. You know, I, I got along with the, my classmates, you know, Gareth Ford, Elliot, who I still keep in contact with this day. I, I love him to bits. I, I should get him on the podcast, man. Yeah, oh, he's he, he brilliant. Do you know what? I remember cause, because he was, I remember at first, I, I got along with him, but then when he got politically, because he's always into politics, and yeah. anyone can be into politics. I'm not really very extreme you know i mean i've got my beliefs but i don't preach them if you know what i mean yeah, yeah, yeah. if you listen to this i love you you know what i mean <laughs> but uh, i remember I, I, I we used to be on each other's throats because he'd be having a go at me i was thinking you're, you're having a go at another 
I, I don't know about you, Kieran, because I know you, you dig into it because you speak to a lot of people who try and get into industries. But the way I looked at it, I remember trying to apply for jobs at the BBC, whether it's um, not part-time or just mm. competitions and everything. And there'll be other, you know, um, productions as well and everything. And the, the one thing I always get, um, probably, you know, 80%, no, 75% of the time, I'd always get the answers back saying you don't you haven't got enough experience and i i always wonder and i don't know if this is just me but every time i look at that i think well if i haven't got any experience how am i going to get experience where am i going to go and, and there needs to be that platform for people to gain that experience who yeah. maybe can't work for free or i can't volunteer their time and work for nothing and, and you know what that does? It stops kind of people on lower incomes or working class people getting into the industry because they can't afford to do these traineeships or apprenticeships where they expect you to work for free. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, yeah. And that's, that's the reason why when I, when I do my productions, um, even though I've got a few cash to spare, uh, my family, they're not wealthy family especially because my bump and my my bump always give me a few quid yeah not a lot but give me a few quid say look you really want to put this on go and put it on then and he's always always come to watch it fair play would you say that you're a bit kind of disillusioned with the industry like do you know what i mean with the kind of big companies yeah because uh, at one point, I was always fixated on why I because I've got these two degrees under my belt, I can go and work for the BBC and I'll be yeah. brilliant. And then all of a sudden, reality kicks in. It's like, no, they are these these writers or script editors or producers, whatever. They've come from big background experiences and everything. And this is, and um, like I said, my family have told me, my missus has told me. You know, they said, look, you you can't just. You can't just look at the BBC and think this is my gateway to paradise or whatever. You've got to look somewhere small, even if it's just workshops and everything, you know, that you can still yeah. put that on your CV. And um, I, I remember not long ago, it's actually a few months ago, actually, uh, I, I remember having a catch up with Shan. I said, look, I, I don't know where to get the experience. And she said to me, she went, Reese, you've been doing the experience since you got into uni. Why don't you just carry on writing plays? put your own projects on, you've got a YouTube channel, use it for quite a while, you can put it on your CV, yeah. and I thought, oh, for God's sake, well, you know, someone's just smacked me in face. So, just sometimes it takes someone to point it out, even though you're looking straight at it. And yeah. Sean was always really good at that. And she could come on as well. Um, <laughs> but, like, every dissertation piece in 2018, you wrote a play called... United by Passion, which centres on the history of your beloved, I should say, Barrytown United Football Club. Up um, the town. <laughs> up the town, definitely. Up the swans as well. Um, oh, well, so, no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. So, how did you find kind of theatricalising events that, real, that really happened? Well, at the moment, I'll say this very right now, um, it's on hold, but at the time I was writing it, it was a challenge because I was there. And when you're, when you're part of that history, it's a different approach to when you're not part of yeah. it. I, it's, it's like, um, it's like uh, The Crown. Let's just use The Crown, for example, right? With season four, 
you know, under under its belt, you know, and a lot of people have criticised the accuracies and everything, right? Uh, even though they're trying to create drama, and it, and Steeps was the one. Steeps was my tutor. He was yeah. my mentor to write the play, and he's always said to me, "Don't let the truth get in the way of a good story." It's true. And sometimes the truth is a good story, but I can understand where he was coming from. And every time he tried to tell me, and I was I was always falling into the trap of, um, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Well, you're not you're, you're telling it, not showing it. What's what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, show don't tell was what um, st- exposition over over exposition. Yeah, yeah. Um, Steve kept saying to me, it's too expositional with the, the dialogue. Yeah. Because I was telling my audience, because I was telling rather than showing. And it was very difficult because the ideas that Steve were giving me, they were good, but at the same time, they were a bit of, they were hurting a bit because I was thinking, oh, I'm part of that. So that's really yeah. a big challenge where you need to get your mindset off. Right, I know you were there, but you're telling a story. You've got to tell mm. a story where the audience, especially non-football fans, can get behind you're you gonna make it or... interesting even if you don't know anything about Barry Town, even if you don't yeah. know anything about football yeah and I and I remember um, which I should have done a long time ago I should have done it in uni um, because I was focused on characters that were in the heart of the court case battles with Barry Town, um, you know when they were trying to get back into the league um, I should I, I should have you know if I was got, if I was gone back in time and told myself back in 2018 or 2017-18 saying right don't write it about the manager the club secretary or the, the people who are at the heart of it tell the story through the perspective yeah. of the fans because the fans people will understand from a fan's pers- uh, perspective because it's, it's like the saying football is life and you know it's all I mean especially in today's COVID situations it's, it, it can hurt a lot of people yeah. And I'll say this very quickly, like I was just going back on the 10 feet tour where we did these 20 minute pieces. I remember my show was last and I was just literally there thinking, oh, because I took 20 minute pieces and I just got the monologues from the the fans and just put it on. And I remember people were coming out and people coming up to me. I don't know about yourself, Key, but I remember I had people who were non-football fans saying, Reese, I'm not a fan of football, but you made me... I remember that night. I was there that night. And I remember you had loads of people coming up to you. And I bet that was an amazing feeling of achievement for you. Oh, do you know what? I I nearly burst into tears because of the... Because I remember just saying... Because Adam Wolfe was playing me. Okay. He was playing me. Was Was he playing you or was he playing a version of you? Well, you could say he's playing a version of me, but because we've grown, we grown up together, he knows me too well, so he <laughs> did the mannerisms and bit, and I just thought, you keep bastard. So, <laughs> sorry for the language, um, but no. uh, but I remember the, the four actors who play my friends and that, and especially Adam playing me, I, I couldn't thank them enough because they did justice for how yeah. you know a lot of football fans can look at it. And I remember bursting into tears because it was such a... You know, at that time, it was a it was a situation where my life could change, and I don't know how to bounce back from it. And uh, and I would never forget. You know, Katie was the one who you know she's not a football fan. She would ask me questions about football, but I remember she came up and said, "You just made me appreciate football a bit more." Oh wow! From a fan's perspective, and I just thought, and when everyone, like you said, when everyone came up to me saying, "Oh, that that was brilliant," I just thought, and at the time, I should have right there and then gone back 
gone back to the play, looked at him and went, right, get rid of that character, just focus on the fans. And at the moment, that's what I'm doing now. So, But, but there's, there's always time. You've always got oh, yeah. time to do these things. I'm going to move on briefly. And I want to talk about Greenacres Theatre, which is a theatre company that you formed in 2018. Um, how did you form Greenacres, first of all? Well, originally it's, it's, it's not a, a non-profitable company, theatre company, and um, at the moment I'm trying to get the name uh, official, so right. it's a proper theatre company, and um, my missus, but I remember you have to go through so many procedures to, to get that done, which is easy, it's on the website, but anyway, I remember sat at home and I'm thinking to myself, I don't want it, I don't want on the posters to be uh, Reestings Productions or Reestings Presents, you know, that because that's such an awesome Wells yeah. thing to do, you know, um, <laughs> as much as I love Awesome Wells, but I, I don't want to be mm. that, you know, kind of you know, in your face about it. Oh, yeah. So I remember I sat at home uh, and the street or the estate is called Green Acres. And I, I mean, I'm 24 years old and I grew up around that street all my life. And Green Acres, every time I say Green Acres, a lot of people in Barry don't know where it is. I'm thinking, it's, it's just on the other end of Barry. You know, I know Barry like the back of my hand. I know the streets and everything, but people don't know where Green Acres is. And ever since then, I thought, you know what, I'm going to get that name out there. And it just it just kind of suited the, the name of the company, Green Acres Theatre. So I thought, right, okay, I got Green Acres Theatre. Now what am I going to do? What am I going to yeah. do with the company? And that's when um, uh, I started thinking of what plays I could put on. And then the waiting room just came around then. How important was it for you to be making your own work at that time? It made me feel, you know, I, I'm going to blow my own trumpet here. It just made me feel special because I did something on my own. I did the directing, I did the producing, I wrote the play. Yeah. I I funded the play. I know I got it easy because I, um, when, when um, here's the thing about, like you said, about developing writing and everything. Because the, rate, the waiting room uh, focused on so many deep personal um, approaches. It took me three years to write it. I was on and off with it for for three years. Right. And when I put it on, I just thought, am I doing the right thing of trying to go through depression, dementia, the effects of war? Um, you know, the the big man versus the small man. You know, all these journey throughs that mm. really are a big passion of mine. And I, I felt special because I thought I was doing justice for some people who were, you know who was suffering with depression, dementia, and all those kind of things. And as soon as I remember um, just, just finishing it, I, I remember just sat back and went, you did that on your own. Yeah. Well done, you. And, and I, it's I a big really thing, pleased. man. It's a big undertaking to write yeah. a play and then put it out there to be judged by people. Because that's what you're doing. And you should be really proud of yourself for doing that. Any playwright should. Yeah. Uh, uh, you're currently... Uh, no, I want to ask you first about what the challenges were kind of directing something that you had written, directing um, your own work. Letting people have an idea. That was the only chi uh, challenge, having them have an idea. When you write what something... What do you mean by that? What do you well, mean? Um, this is going to sound very... Like I said, I didn't want to sound a bit selfish, but if it does, I do apologise, people. Um, but when you when you write a play of your own and you're directing it yourself, you've got your ideas, you've got your mindset of what you want it to do, 
right? And I remember, because there was only four actors there, so Adam, who I mentioned earlier, um, he was in it, uh, Mike Preston, uh, Tyler Rowland, and Sam Vaughan, those mm-hmm. were the four actors that I'd chosen to be in it. And because Sam wasn't in it that much, he, he played the soldier, and because the, the character of the soldier wasn't in that much in the play, I said to Sam, um, I'll, I'll give you some, a little bit, I shouldn't I think this is where I go back on myself, but I said, I'll give you some, I, if you give me any ideas, then we could throw it out there. And he threw some out there, which it was a bit, it was nice, but then it got too far. He was, he was trying to take over, take over a bit with it, unintentionally trying to take over. And I was there going, no, this is how I want to do it. This is yeah. the way I want to do it. And uh, that, that's what I mean by that. I, I mean, it's, it's no disrespect. I mean, the, the passion from the four, four actors was there. And, you know, and they they did justice for me because they wanted to put it on. And in the end, I, I, I just gave them what I could. I just chucked them 30 quid each, said, look, just thank you. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm not a big made millionaire or anything like that. I just said, thank you very much. But it's a nice gesture, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, and I gave him film posters as well. <laughs> <laughs> and like, do you find it difficult to like relinquish that control to let it go? Um, do you know what? If if I was doing it halfway and I just said I don't want to do it, you take over. That's when I find it hard. But if I if if someone came up to me and said, I well, if I went up to them or if they went up to me and said I'd like to direct your play or can you direct this mm. for me, then I can go. Do whatever you want with it. Yeah, I'll come yeah. in and visit, you know, and and see what you can do. And I haven't had that experience yet, which is why I'm so keen on someone one day just to find a director, and I don't have to do it myself. <laughs> I can just literally just be the one to call, to pick up the phone, and say, right, let's get a theatre, let's get the posters, and mm-hmm. I, I, I want to do that one day, not just right. One day I'm gonna worry about the the actors and what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Then the next day I'm gonna worry about the theatre venue. Then the next I'm gonna worry about advertisements. And then I got to worry about the plane. I don't want all. The, I, like I said, I don't want to be an awesome Wells of awesome Wells just to, you know, do everything at once. You know, one day I'd love to see someone just direct a play mm. of mine, and then. And then yeah, I I get that. Um, you are currently working on the play about the troubles. Um, can you maybe tell me a bit more about what the play's about and the process, particularly researching it. Because and and yeah, like because you're not Northern Irish, like no, I'm not. Do you? Is there a part of you that feels, oh, maybe I shouldn't be writing this because I'm not Northern Irish? No, I wasn't there. Do you know every what I mean? Every single day, every single day, I think, should I really be putting this on? But then, but then I do real. I soon realise that there have been one or two projects from English and Scottish. Pro- directors or writers that have written about the troubles and my band like i said i, I keep mentioning my band because he, he was a big he is a big major influence of my life and he's always the man of the voice of reasons for me to to approach these things yeah but i remember once i said i, I i'll tell you how it started yeah uh, just very quickly so me being a barry sound fan uh, <laughs> it always comes back to barry Town. <laughs> it always comes back um <laughs> When, when we returned to the Europa League for the first time in years, one of the one of the teams in the Europa League draw was Cliftonville mm-hmm. in Belfast. And when we drawn them in the Europa League, 
I got my ticket ready, I got my plane ticket ready, I got everything ready. But Leon and a few other people were telling me about the troubles and I knew a little bit of it, but I didn't know a few a chunk of it, if you know what I mean. So I went I went home, I read a book. Wow, I read a book. <laughs> no, I, I read mm. books, I, mm. I looked up online and I watched documentaries and I'm so amazed how the, this all happened on the UK's front doorstep, yeah. if you know what I mean. It just happened. And when we went, uh, I was surprised at how they were stuck in time for some reason. I said, oh, it's like the year 2000 here, or maybe the early 1990s. It, it just, it, mm. things didn't change. And you saw the Irish flags flying up one street, and then next there were paratrooper yeah. flags, there were UK flags. Then, and then this is what really got me going very quickly. Uh, so watch the game. Uh, there were just IRA logos. There was mm. Che Guevara. There was a lot of political mm. flags and everything. And I thought, and I'm thinking, Jesus Christ. And I, I'll never forget. And my mate Leon is from the. He, he was in the navy, and a guy came up to him, a Barrytown fan said, "I got a flag for us to put up in the stands." And Cliftonville is a Republican yeah. supporting uh, club. club. Yeah. And I will never forget it. He pulled out a Union Jack flag that said Barrytown on it. And Leon literally grabbed the flag, shoved it back in the... Grabbed the flag, shoved it back into the bag and said, what the... Excuse my French. What the fuck do you think you're doing? Mm. They'll kill us if we have it. And and after all that happened, we we went on a tour bus all around Belfast, all around basically Northern Ireland just the murals and the guy was saying right uh, this this place mm. got bombed that place got bombed five people died there the hotel you're staying at five doors down that hotel got bombed I mean, just got it's amazing to think this wasn't in the 1920s or this was in the 1970s and 80s and 90s yeah. Yeah. So, so what is the play about the play is about. Sorry if I went off topic. No, there. no. I mean, like, oh, shut up. <laughs> no, it's no, just uh, I'm interested in the play and, and what yeah, the, the play. play is about. Yeah, I do go off for a time, so I do apologise. Just tell me to start my. Anyway, uh, so the play is about. Um, I always wanted to, because the troubles is such a bias, um, approach. People are biased. Uh, it's like people who have a Republican Catholic view, they're going to say we were the innocent ones or we were the ones who were trying mm. to get this. Then you've got people who are Protestant and this. So I just thought, what if there was a family, which there probably is, because I remember going to one part of Belfast where on the outskirts they didn't have an opinion at all. It's like the further you go out of Belfast, the less biased it is. Yeah. I figured, what if there was a family in a working class area of Belfast that didn't have a Catholic or Protestant view or Republican view, but like I said, they're living through the troubles. And it's basically a father trying to come to terms with his son joining the IRA and trying to keep a British army soldier away from the uh, from that danger because he discovers him in, in his back garden, hiding, right? And he's trying to keep him hiding yeah. While at the same time, his son is bringing IRA members back to the house, and the father's there going, right. "What the hell am I yeah. going to do?" You know. Would you say that the play is ha- has a political view? 
Does it take a unionist view or a nationalist view? It, it's trying to... It's the, the one thing I'm trying not to do is have a... Even though it's political, it's got to be political. It's the Flemming Troubles. Um, <laughs> well, it is. Um, but the one thing I'm trying to do is have the character, the main protagonist, not have a political view. Mm. It's like the son's having an, uh, um, a view about republicanism. Yeah. And, you know, the that the IRA is going to trying to bring in a Republican island in Northern Ireland. Yeah. And and the one thing that I'm trying not to do, and my band's ready, and he said, it's good, but for the love of God, please, please mention, he said, just because what I'm trying to do, I've mentioned things about the UVF or the UDR yes. and saying, look, they're bad as well. They're both as bad as one another. But... And, he, and he said, he said, please just don't come up to me if you have a, if you have a letter from the IRA saying they're going to, you know, do whatever because it's they're still around and it's still fresh mm. it, it's it's exactly it's not, um, i remember watching a documentary and they were saying you know uh even though there's a ceasefire you just because people are um fixated on their on their own views and ideology it's just never going to go away so it is a political view in a sense that you know i'm trying to say they're both as bad as one yeah. another because it was the British Army are no different as well. Because yeah. when I looked at it, that's how I looked at it. If you know what I mean, I just I remember reading about uh, IRA, UVF, or whatever Ulster forces were there, yes. and the British Army, and I just looked at them when they're both as bad as each other. All three of them are just as bad. It was just a, ca- a catastrophe, I say, and it's just people, and it's just a working class man trying to live, trying to survive through it. I am really looking forward to staying here and I'm really looking forward to reading what you've sent me so far. We're nearly done, but I'm going to talk to you about your podcast. You just said you were the host of the Dragon's Voice football podcast, but I want to talk to you about your Let's Talk With podcast. Yeah. How did you decide to start that podcast? And... um. Who have you enjoyed interviewing the most and what are your future ambitions for the podcast? Well, well, the thing is, the only reason why I created it is so you can come on it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I know what you're going to do with Natalie. I've only had one guest on the show so far, which is James Fox. And the, uh, the original intention of uh, Let's Talk With is uh, it's just a podcast that's probably hopefully going to be once a month. It's not going right. to be a regular series things where... Um, like the Dragon's Voice podcast, it's happening every Friday because I focus on Welsh football or English football players who contributed to Welsh football mm. in great a, a mass um, or amount. But let's talk with it's going to be basically like a Joe Rogan Experience podcast. I want anyone who is, whether they're a playwright, a director, or singer, or an explorer, or um, you know, someone's worked in the Navy or whatever, just to come on and talk about their stories, you know, because uh, I, I remember, I mean, Joe Rogan experience is at fault here. And, you know, I think a lot of podcasts get a lot of influence from Joe Rogan experience. But every time I listen to him, I really want to ask people myself more and learn more. It's mm-hmm. like, I really want, you know, animal experts to come on. I want someone from the, like I said, from the Navy to come on. I want someone who does exploring to come on. But the problem, and problem is though it's very hard to get people on there mm. when you know they're, they're busy or they got too much going on and what's what's happening but going what you're saying what's the future plan so mm. i um no no went on 
going on the future planning, um, I really want to have my own studio. Yeah. Uh, for, uh, writing slash podcast studio where I could do every weekly or twice a week podcasts to go on both my channels. I'm trying now to grow both channels, the Deansy Boy Show and Dragon's Voice Podcast, to grow to the point where I, I can actually earn some mm. money in on YouTube. Uh, I know you told me to do Spotify. I know this is going to go on Spotify and everything. Um, but I'm trying to work some technology out to see how I can actually do it, you know, and... But that's where, that's where the target is to become a playwright cool. and a podcaster. That's what I think, you know. So the last thing I want to ask you is, is, what advice would you give to someone who's just starting out in the industry? Um, take some, uh, take as many advice as you can, but at the same time, don't be afraid to not take advice. Because at the end of the day, you're the one who's making the decisions, but at the same time, you're the one who's, who, who wants to get from point A to point B. If yeah. you want to be a playwright, write as many projects as you want, get as many ideas down as you can, um, and literally just, just follow your heart, follow your destiny, and go forth. If you want to be a director, be a director. Make sure you, you have your mindset on something, rather than me, who wants to be an astronaut at one point, then be a... <laughs> a great to go along and then but it just follow your heart follow your dreams and one day you will reach for the stars if you just stick your mind to it thanks Reece. it's been awesome talking to you thanks for coming on yeah no worries mate i mean i'm just getting a bit emotional <laughs> <laughs> my guest on the next episode of in lockdown with is jaleesa andrews who is an actor from Port Albert, she's been in musicals that have toured and she's the co-artistic director of Academy Arts based in Port Albert who work with young people and I'm going to be talking to her about her career and what she's been doing during lockdown. But until then, it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from Ruth. Thanks again for coming on. No Bye. worries, take care pal. Thank you for listening to this episode of In Lockdown With. The podcast is written, produced and curated by me, Kieran Fitzgerald. Thank you to all my guests for taking the time to appear on the show. If you enjoyed this episode of In Lockdown With, please consider liking or subscribing on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And I'll see you next time for another interview.